You're not paid to sit on Pinterest all day. There we go. All right. People, you know, wonder, they're like, what do you guys do all week? That's what I do all week. All right. Increase productivity and effectiveness or something. All right. Um, <laughs> oh, there's more of those videos. They get weirder. Um, we, we are kicking off this new series this week. Uh, I'm Andy. I'm one of the, the pastors here. I'm a youth pastor here at River Glen. Um, and we're kicking off this series, Big Mouse. But before we do that, um, something, something that's been on my mind the last couple days is um, just coming together at church and praying. Um, uh, this has been a, a week in our nation that um, is, is rough, I guess, the only way to describe it. You know, we start off celebrating our birthday as a country, and by the end of the week, uh, we've witnessed a lot of lives ending. And I'm not here to give some viewpoint or some opinion or anything like that about what happened, why it happened, any of that. Um, but what I've seen is the response to all this. And what I see is that there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of anger, and there's some hate. And whether you feel it or not, uh, there's a lot of division. And it makes me incredibly sad. And so what we're supposed to do as the church is enter into the messiness uh, of the world and, and be a light to people and weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? And so what the nation needs right now is the church to be the church. And that's a really hard job. And so what I'd like to do is just pray and ask God for help um, to, to do what I feel like we're called to do uh, right now. So if you would, just, just pray with me. Um, Lord, we, uh, you know, we are a mess. Um, we... There's so much going on right now that's hard to, to put into words for me, but um, I see a lot of hurt, and I just ask that you, you heal um, families who have been impacted um, in, in, our, in this country, cities um, that are experiencing a lot of tension or hate or confusion or whatever it is that they're going through, that you bring your, your peace and your comfort that comes through uh, you know, knowing you and loving you and, and the good news of Christ just that it would heal this country um, and it would bring us some hope right now that we need so much. Um, I ask that you, you help us as followers stay, stay humble um, but also be courageous in going into the world and confronting things that need to be confronted and loving people that need to be loved and um, just representing you in, in this world as ambassadors. Just help us out because it's so hard. Um, help us you know, follow what scripture says and, and, and respect those who are in authority, but also love our neighbors, no matter who they are, what they look like, whatever it is. Um, we need your help, Lord, and I ask you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Big Mouth. Um, each week, we're going to focus on a different book in the Old Testament that are sometimes referred to as the minor prophets, and they're, they're, they're minor, they're not less important, they're just small. 
And just because they're small doesn't mean they don't have a good message to tell. Actually, these short prophets uh, books have a really powerful message that they usually tell. Um, and so they're, they're great to look at because Israel was going through this time where it was a mess. They, were, they had some really bad kings. They were going through a lot of stuff. And so these prophets came in at a time and kind of gave some tough love and kind of got in people's faces. And that's why we've referred to them as Big mouths. So today we're going to kick this off with Hosea. And if you want to flip to Hosea in your Bible, um, you can just open it right to the middle and then start paging through to the end, and eventually you'll get there. So um, as you're finding it, I want to tell you a little bit of a, a story about me before we get into Hosea's story. All right? I want to tell you a story of how I met and married my wife, Christina. All right. Now, for some reason, people are always asking me, like, how did we meet? Like, it's a mystery that has to be solved. And and they assume, oh, well, maybe they met at church or something. And that's not the case, right? So then they start thinking, well, maybe they met online and Andy, like, used someone else's photos, like Bruce Willis or something. And <laughs> I don't know why I thought of him, but we're close in resemblance. Um, you know, maybe he used photos. No, that wasn't it. Well, and then they think, well, they look at Christine and th- Christina and they think, well, maybe this was like an arranged marriage and she got the shaft or that wasn't the case either. Um, we actually met at a Brewers game. We were at a mutual friend's birthday. We were at a tailgate. And like a lot of guys, I was being a, a, a dork. And I was doing a lot of stupid things. And then I saw Christina and it was like, whoa. And I immediately stopped being a dork. And I started being like, you know, cool, suave, that kind of thing. And I was like, I got to talk to this girl. So we get into the game and we, we get to our seats and right next to her, seat looks open. Jackpot, right? So I go over to her and I go, hey, is this seat taken? To which she replies, yes. <laughs> and that's, I was like, all right, not going to be easy. This one's going to be tough. So um, I had to play my cards, right? Had to, had to really bring my A game so I could talk to this girl, get a date with this girl. And I did. Um, got, a, got a date. We went out on a date. And I actually found out that um, she didn't find out I was bald until on our first date. That's how well I played my cards. Anyway, I think that's a funny fact. Um, maybe you don't care. But we got coffee. Uh, we went on some more dates. And we talked. We talked a lot. Um, and, and we grew really close together. We went on, we came to church together. We went on mission trips together. We, we grew closer to God together. And eventually, you know, I popped the question and she said yes. And we got married just a couple hundred yards from here in the FLC. So for two years, she was the person I was after. I was pursuing her. I was chasing her. I, I, was, I just wanted to be with her. And then we got married. And anyone who's married knows, well, then the hard work starts, right? And you still have to pursue. You still have to chase. You still have to go after them and want to be with them, right? Um, because that's what we do when we, when we get married. We promise to love them no matter what. Now, that's not some like mind-blowing story. Maybe you're, you're thinking, she said, yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing. But um, we've all heard similar stories, right? Like some are way better than mine. They're, they're more crazy. There's great proposals, all this stuff. Um, that's not a, some crazy story. But you probably have not heard a story like the one you're going to hear today um, about uh, a marriage. It's, it's a story of a relationship. It's the story about pursuing and running, loving and rejecting, chasing and denying. It's this wild story. And it's ultimately a story about God and people. And so to tell this story, 
God uses a man named Hosea, and Hosea was a prophet, right? And when I say prophet, think of someone who uh, God would use to deliver a message, kind of like a mouthpiece for God. And um, he was a prophet during this time, like I said, that Israel was kind of going through this really, really bad, dark period. They had kings who were leading them to worship false gods. They were, they were allowing foreign rules, rulers to come in and take over. And they were also had some stuff going on like, like human sacrifice. So this is a really dark period of history, okay? And God is patient, but eventually he's like, well, I got I to gotta talk to these people. So he sends in the minor prophets to deliver some messages. And so they would use, God would use these uh, prophets to get their attention, to deliver this message, and it would be blunt, and it would be in your face. And sometimes it would kind of be graphic language. Sometimes it would be in your, uh, uh, offensive, um, as we'll see. And so we're going to start at the very beginning of Hosea just to kind of set up um, where this message is coming from. So chapter one, verse one, here's how it starts. The Lord gave the message to Hosea, son of Barai, during the years of Uzziah, Jatham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. They were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was king of Israel. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer. All right, so probably not what you expected, all right? Um, basically, God says to Hosea, hey, go find a woman who is known to be unfaithful, who's known to give herself to other people and uh, marry her, make her your wife. Um, enter into this exclusive relationship with her with this person who's anything but exclusive. And you gotta imagine Hosea's like, say what, right, what, um, huh? Um, but God's like, hey, here's why. Uh, this is to illustrate how my people, Israel, have turned from me, have worshiped other gods, and acted like a prostitute, okay, by worshiping other gods. So God takes Hosea, he takes this prophet, and he puts him in a situation where he literally understands firsthand what God is trying to communicate to people. Okay, and so go marry an unfaithful woman who, who, will, who will cheat on you, who will lie to you, who will sneak around behind your back because it's going to represent how people deal with me, right? And this is the context for the message that God gives to Hosea and the rest of the book, right? And to sum it up, here's kind of the message that God says through Hosea. He says, I still love you. In Hosea 3.1, he says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods to love and worship them. I still love you. And then, come back to me. In 14, chapter 14, he says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. I still love you. Come back to me, right? It literally gets to the heart of the message of the book of Hosea. So if we were going to sum up what this book is really all about in one word, it would be relationship. Relationship. This is a very specific relationship, a relationship that's best illustrated as a marriage relationship, exclusive, devoted, committed, right? A marriage relationship. But we're not talking about some guy and some, some woman. We're talking about God and people, God and us, God and you, Right, so here's what I want to do with the book of Hosea. I want to kind of take this image of a man chasing after a woman who's unfaithful. I want to take this message that God still loves us when we run and he wants us to come back. And I want to look at some of the key passages in Hosea and basically assess our own relationship with God. I want to ask, 
what does your relationship with God look like right now? What does it look like right now? When we officiate weddings here at River Glen, we, uh, uh, we, or we meet with married couples or whatever, we use this tool called Prepare and Enrich. It's, a, it's an assessment. It's not a test. It's not pass-fail. It's not even an indicator if a marriage will work out. It's a reality check. It helps people understand <clears throat> where they're at and then where their partner is at, all right? So it's an assessment. It's a tool to help them uh, get a better picture of where things are. And so my hope is that maybe we can walk out of here today, take a little assessment, ask some hard questions, um, and walk out of here kind of knowing what reality is when it comes to us and God and our relationship, okay? So the first reality we get from Hosea is that God pursues us relentlessly, Right? The image of a man pursuing a woman who, who sells herself, that's one thing, right? But then to marry her, and then she keeps doing this, she keeps cheating, she keeps running, that's a whole other thing, right? And it's crazy, and it gives us this picture of just how relentless God is in his pursuit of us, right? So all through Scripture, what we kind of see is that God loves people who do not deserve it. He just chases people who don't deserve it. And it's unconditional. Unconditional love, it's this word we talk about a lot, but it kind of gets lost on us, right? Because our love, when we love people, it's usually we love because of something, we love if, we love when, but God's love is unconditional and we kind of miss out on what that means. God doesn't love because, he doesn't love if, he doesn't love when, he just loves, right? Um, John, one of Jesus's best friends, right, actually described it like this. God is love. If you were to describe God, he's love. He loves because that's who he is, right? He loves us unconditionally. He pursues us for this relationship. And the best way to think about your relationship with God is a marriage, right? God longs for this deep, intimate, personal, committed, devoted, exclusive relationship, right? In chapter 6, verse 6, he says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. What he's saying is, I don't want all these religious sacrifices as much as I want a relationship with you, right? And when you think about a marriage and how it all starts, we typically think about the proposal. It kind of gets the ball rolling, right? So for me, um, our, my proposal, we, it, was, it was Christmas Eve services here at River Glen, and the idea was go to service and then go home and exchange some gifts. And so I had a rose under the tree, and I had the ring under the tree, and I'm like, hey, maybe we should exchange some gifts. You know, real, real sly, but I was freaking out. And I go and I get the rose, and I, I give it to Christina, who's sitting on my futon, uh, <laughs> very romantic setting. Uh, give her the rose, and I say, hey, this is because I love you. And then I give her the ring and I say, and this is because I want to spend my life with you, right? And she said, yes. And that's about as romantic as I've ever been. Um, but that's the proposal, okay? Yes. Will you, will you get into this relationship with me, this committed, exclusive, devoted, intimate relationship with me? And the person who's asking is really hoping for a yes, okay? So here's the first question to sort of assess where you're at with God. If God is relentlessly pursuing you, have you said yes? All right? There are only two, two groups of people we can kind of narrow it down to. Either you've said yes or you haven't said yes, okay? And if you haven't said yes and you're here, I would assume that you're at least thinking about this, right? You're, you're, you're trying to get a better picture of God. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is this relationship thing? I've never heard this relationship thing talked about. What is this, 
right? You're, 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 you're questioning, you're wondering, right? You're, you're like on the first date. You need to get to know this person more. I get that. I've been there. I've been in your seat asking the same questions. Who's this Jesus guy? Do I follow him? Is he worth it? What's this relationship thing all about? Right? I get it. But if you haven't said yes yet, here's what Hosea would, would, would tell you. God is after you. God is chasing you. Right? He's pursuing you. He longs to be in this relationship with you. That's what he's after. He's after you. Right? And he's not, he's not searching for like the really good people, the best people, the morally upright, the clean cut, the people who have life figured out. Right? He's, he's not avoiding the mess, the baggage, the, the shameful, the sinners. He's not avoiding any of that. He's after everyone. He wants everyone. Right? And the way Hosea pursues Gomer, a woman who sells herself, that is how God is pursuing you. He is after you. Right? And it's not because of who you are. It's because of who he is. Right? He's after you. And so in some sense, we're all like Gomer. We're all like Gomer, we're all kind of off, not really thinking about a relationship, not really thinking about that kind of thing. We're just kind of hopping around one thing to the next, trying to have our needs met, um, depend on something, trying to survive, trying to live. And the Bible would describe this kind of attitude that we don't need God as sin, right? It's this attitude of, I don't really need him. Each and every one of us, we, we were made by God, we were made for God, and we've wandered away from that at some point in our life. We've gotten away from him, and we've rejected the very reason that we were made. But it doesn't stop God from chasing after us. It doesn't stop him from, from coming after us and saying, will you be in this relationship? Will you come to me? Will you be in this relationship? And the way God does this, the way he kind of proposes to us isn't to get down on a knee and give us an expensive piece of jewelry, right? What he actually does is he comes down to earth and he gives us what's most uh, important to him, his son, Jesus. He sends Jesus down to earth and Jesus lives this obedient, faithful life, perfect life. But ultimately, God sent him down here to die, right? He sent him down here uh, to experience this death that we actually deserve from turning away from God and saying, we don't need you, right? And God, uh, by doing that, we've sinned, and sin requires two things, a punishment, and it causes separation. So Jesus comes down, and he takes our sin, he takes the punishment for it, and he erases the separation. So that's all that's left is you and God. There's nothing between you. There's nothing that's needed. It's you and it's him. And he's saying, will you be in this relationship with me? Will you say yes? This is God's proposal. Jesus came. He took your sin, shame, guilt, anything that you're ashamed of or you have baggage over or whatever you've done is gone. There's no separation. There's no punishment. There's no condemnation. There's you and there's God and there's your response. That's it. How will you respond? Will you say yes? That's the first question. The second question is if you've said yes, if you've accepted that, right, that, that offer of a relationship, are you committed? Are you devoted? Right? Are you responding to his love? With your love? The second reality we get from Hosea is that even once we've said yes to God, to this amazing offer, uh, we sometimes run, right? We run constantly. The shocking part of Hosea isn't that, you know, he pursues this prostitute as a wife. That's shocking, right? But what's crazy is that even after he's got her, she keeps doing it and he keeps chasing her. He doesn't give up. It's this ongoing cycle that illustrates God's relationship with Israel, and it illustrates our relationship with him. God pursues, 
we run. And according to Hosea, we don't just run, we cheat, right? It's a new perspective for us. We cheat on our creator with created things. We, we cheat on our God with fake gods. We cheat. And the Bible would use uh, this term idolatry to describe what that means, what that is, right? If you, if you read through scripture, again, it paints this picture that we were made by God for God. We were made to worship him. We were made to depend on him. We were made to love him, look to him as a father. And what we do is we don't do any of that. We look to other things. We worship other things. We love other things. We depend on other things, right? We run to all these things, right, to, to give us a sense of meaning, to give us a sense of value, to give us a sense of purpose, to make us feel like we matter and we're important. Here's how Hosea says it. In 4.12, they ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Longing after idols has made them foolish. They have played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting their God. This is idolatry. It's rejecting God for something else, something less, but we love it more. And we hold it above him and we worship it and we look to it to be God in our life, to do what he is supposed to do for us, to play the part that he's supposed to play in our life, but we go to something else and we cheat on him. And this is serious stuff. This is, this is an image that a lot of us have never really had before, this idea of cheating on God. And it, it sounds so bad, right? And so if, if it's so bad, then why is it so easy, right? Why do we do this? When we think about cheating, why do people cheat? Um, I believe it's because their needs aren't met. For some reason, in whatever relationship they're in, they feel like this relationship doesn't cut it. I don't feel loved, I don't feel valued, I'm not happy, this isn't going my way, right? I'm not important, this relationship doesn't cut it, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go find someone else that does fulfill that need for me in my life. And this is what we do with God. We do the same thing. We believe wrongly that this relationship that we have with him doesn't cut it. It's not filling some need, it's not meeting some desire, there's a hole in our life and he can't fill it, so I need to go somewhere else. I need to go somewhere else. And so in our hearts, in our minds, and in our actions, we run and we cheat, all right? What do we run to? What are we running to? What are you running to? Um, I think we get caught up in kind of thinking of idols as like physical objects, statues, because that's how they're portrayed in scripture. But really, they can be that, but there's so much more. They can be desires, it can be people, it can be um, ideologies, it can be so many things, so many things. Pastor Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, here's what he says. He says, the human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and it turns them into ultimate things. And our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety, fulfillment if we attain them. So really what he's saying is anything can be an idol. And then he continues, we think that idols are bad things, but that is almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. So we run to these things we think fill these holes, these hopes, these desires, this, this void in our life, and we run to those instead of God. And we think that these idols, they're going to give us this sense of fulfillment. It's going to make us matter. It's going to make us feel whole again. But the reality is idols are the biggest obstacle towards you having a committed, devoted relationship with God. 
Something you love more than God is getting in the way. So we need to identify it. We need to identify it. What do you run to? What do you idolize? Let's break it down because it's not just enough to know, we, oh, I run, to, I run to this. We need to know why we run to that. We need to really uh, figure it out. And so how would you answer this question? Life only has meaning. I only matter if blank. If I have what? Because that is the thing that you think you needs to exist in your life. That is your idol. That is your God. That is what you're going to run to because it makes you feel whole, right? And so when you answer that, you start to figure out, oh, here's where I'm going, right? And so we're going to go through a little a list of things, common things, and hopefully you'll start to see, oh, here I am. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's all four, <laughs> right? But this is a good thing, all right? Life only has meaning. I only matter if, all right? Acceptance and approval. Life only has meaning. I only matter if others like me, others accept me, others approve of me, others want me. Right? They approve of the way I look. They approve of the way I behave. They approve of the kind of person I am. If I do what other people want me to do, then I'm accepted. If I live up to other people's expectations and standards, then I'm accepted. Right? If I get noticed, if I get attention, Right? If I have a social media presence, if a lot of people like my picture, right? I only matter, I'm only loved if so-and-so wants me, if so-and-so loves me, if some guy, some girl, without them, I'm nothing. An acceptance approval idol, what it does is it causes us to, to run to people and worship people as God, right? And we look to people for our value and our worth, and they don't work. If it's really hard for you to love certain people, it's probably because you look at people as your God. And you can't really give to them if you're expecting them to play that role in your life. Comfort and security. Life only has meaning. I only matter if I have stuff. I have a lot of stuff. I have the newest stuff. I have newer stuff than my neighbor. I have better stuff than my neighbor. I have more stuff than my neighbor, right? I only matter if my net worth is blank. I only matter if I make X number of dollars a year. I only matter if I don't have to work. I only matter if all life's problems and, and issues are resolved by having security, by having comfort through, through experiences. A comfort and security idol, what it does is it causes us to worship and depend on money and stuff to give us this sense of security and worth and value instead of God. So if it's hard for you to sacrifice, it could be because you have a comfort security idol. Co uh, control and power. Life only has meaning. I only matter if I'm the man. I have influence over others. I have power over others. I'm winning. I'm well-respected. I'm always right. I'm needed. People look to me. People need me. People depend on me. People listen to me. If I'm the center of attention, if I'm on the winning team, if I'm associated with the winning team, if I'm associated with the winning party, whatever it is, a control and power idol, what it does is it causes us to worship our position in life, right? And rely on ourselves instead of God. If it's hard for you to give up control, if you feel threatened, if it's hard for you to follow, it could be because you have a control power idol. Significance and status, life only has meaning. I only matter if I'm liked, I'm important, I'm noticed, I'm prettier, I'm smarter, I'm skinnier, I'm better, I'm faster. Fill in the blank, right? If I'm more 
of whatever, if I'm more productive, if I'm more successful, if I'm the best employee, if I'm a perfect mom, if I'm a perfect dad, if I'm the better son, a better daughter, right? If I've, if I've obtained some kind of status, some kind of image, some specific, um, just I'm viewed a certain way, the status symbol, then I've made it. That first chair, valedictorian, top of class, captain of the team, whatever it is, it can become an idol. And a significant status idol, what it does is it causes us to find our meaning and purpose in life, in what we do, in what we accomplish, in who we think we are, instead of going to God for our meaning and purpose in life. If it's hard for you to love people because you feel like you're always competing against them or they're against you, this could be, your, this could be it. So acceptance, approval, comfort, safety, control, power, Right? Significance and status, all these things causes us to run to something, and they're, they're not even necessarily bad things. They're not bad things, right? But they're bad gods. They don't work. And so follower of Jesus or not, we all run to these things to fill some void, some need, some desire, some hope, some hole in our lives, and we run to these things making, because it makes us feel whole. It makes us feel like we matter, like we exist for a reason. And in some way, we're all gomers. And, and just like the people of Israel, they needed a wake-up call. Some of us need a wake-up call. Some of us need Jose to kind of shake us and slap us around a little bit so that we wake up to what we're doing, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I hope you realize. You were created to know and be in a relationship with God. He is after you. He is chasing you. Nothing you have done no sin, no shame, no guilt, whatever it is from your past that you think excludes you from being in the relationship with God, it's gone because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's up to you just to say yes, right? And if you're a follower of Jesus, the picture that Hosea paints us is kind of dark because we're in this relationship with God. We've accepted what Jesus has done for us. We know the cost. We know the sacrifice. We know what it meant, and we still run. We've said yes, and we still are looking somewhere else. We're cheating. But remember, the message of Hosea isn't, you're a disappointment. You let me down. That's not the message. The message is, I still love you. Come back to me. I know you love other things more than me. I know you worship your job because you, make, you, you think it makes you feel like a man. It makes you feel important. It makes you feel like you matter. I know you worship people and their opinions, and I know that you, you look to them to make you feel worthy and special and important. I know you love winning. I know you love competing. I know you love being in control. I know you love power. I know you love your stuff and you don't want to give it up. I know you love other things than me, but I still love you. Come back to me. That's the message. The reality is nothing we run to is ever going to satisfy us like God can. Nothing, right? Nothing can live up to your standards. Nothing lasts. Everything has a shelf life, and it's going to fail you. And here's how Isaiah sums it up. He says, when she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search, she will, she will search for them but not find them. We'll look for meaning. We'll look for satisfaction. We'll look for fulfillment. Not going to find it. And then she will think, I might as well return to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now, right? When you run to all these different things in life, thinking, this is it. This is going to be the fix in my life. This is going to make me feel the way I need to feel, 
right? Loved, special, meaningful, awesome, whatever it is, you are eventually going to realize that it doesn't work. And you'll be back right where you started. And according to Hosea, that's a good thing because what you do then is you return to God. You go to God because he's the only thing that's ever going to fill that hole in your life, right? The third reality is that a relationship with God is better. It is so much better, right? The relationship with God, it, it, it's going to meet your needs. It's going to satisfy your soul the way an idol cannot, right? His love never wavers. His commitment never dips. He never stops pursuing. If we think of God as a spouse, then what we have to think of him as is the most committed, faithful, loving spouse ever, right? God has done and always will do his part in this relationship. He's a perfect partner. Here's how Hosea puts it. 2.19 and 20, he says, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you, make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. And then 23, he says, I will show you love. I will show love to those I called not loved. And to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. Is he your God? Is he the God you look to, worship, love, depend on? Is he your God? Have you said yes? If you haven't said yes, I would argue it's probably because you just don't understand how much God loves you yet. You just don't understand how much this God who created you wants you, right? And if you, if you have said yes and you are in this relationship and you're running, I would say it's because you forgot. You forgot how much God loves you and wants you. You've forgotten. And that's why we need Hosea to remind us, to wake us up, right? That only a relationship with God is going to cut it, right? He is the one who fully accepts you unconditionally. All your faults, all your failures, all your secrets, all the stuff that no one else knows, God knows it, and he still wants you, right? He is in control of your life, and he loves you perfectly. He, he is the one who you get your security, your eternal security, your comfort from. He is the one who designed you with a purpose in mind, with meaning. He's the place you find your status, your significance. You are loved and known by the creator of the universe. Nothing can top that. Nothing can top that. So just like Hosea pursues Gomer, God is pursuing you. And just like Gomer runs from Hosea, we are running from God. But let me tell you, he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. He is relentless. And we see just how relentless he is by looking to what he did through Jesus, what he did through Jesus. Listen to these last couple passages from Hosea and how they point to God's ultimate expression of love, his son. In 11, he says, oh, how can I give, give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Admar, demolish you like Zeboiim? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. no. I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel. For I am God, not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. So he's torn. He's literally torn over his love for you, and you're running. But what does he do? He doesn't destroy. Here's what he does. John 3.17, it says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge it, but to save the world through him. Right? Jesus, God in the flesh, he came down to earth, 
not to judge, not to punish, not to destroy. Actually, he was judged, and he did get punished. Why? Because God is after a relationship at all costs. He is relentless, and he wants you, and he wants to heal this relationship. Again, here's what, here's what Hosea says in 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions. Return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. And here's what God says. The Lord says, then I will heal you of your, un- of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds and my anger will be gone forever. It's gone. He wants to heal this relationship and he did it through Jesus. It's gone because of what Jesus did. Peter, one of Jesus' friends, described it in his letter in 1 Peter. Here's what he says. He, Jesus, never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what's right. By his wounds, you are healed. Jesus is how everything is made right. Everything is made right because of Jesus We know that God is relentlessly pursuing us because of what he did. He came down to earth for us. Because of Jesus, we know that God has offered us this relationship. He's proposed to us, right? Because we see that on the cross, he has taken away our sin, right? We know that whatever existed, whatever separated, is gone. We know that God is faithful because he did the ultimate thing. He sacrificed his son for you, for me, for us, to be in this relationship. Nothing comes close to having this relationship with God. Do you have one? And if you do, are you committed? Are you faithful? Are you devoted? Are you looking to God and responding to his love with your own love? Right? What matters more, the acceptance and approval that you get from some person or the unconditional acceptance that you've been given through Jesus? What matters more to you, the security and comfort you have from stuff or the security and comfort, the eternal security and comfort you have from God, your creator? What matters more to you, the position you gain in life by having power over others, influence over others, control over others, or the position you've been given by the real guy in charge, Jesus? What matters more to you? the status and significance you think you have from what you can do, what you can accomplish, or the significance you have because God has reached down, saved you, loved you, and says, I want you. Nothing tops him. He is better. And his message to you is, I still love you. I still love you. Come back to me. Let's pray. Father, we... uh, I guess we're just blown away by this book. Um, it, can, it can come across as a little graphic, a little offensive, but that's not to offend us necessarily as get us to return to you. Help us understand this picture that you've painted through Hosea of what we're doing um, and help it just penetrate our hearts and help us return to you and love you and stay committed to you. Show us that all these other things that we run to in life They don't work. They're not going to solve our problems. They're not going to make us feel better long-term. They're quick fixes. But you, you are the real fix. You are the real source that we should be running to, worshiping, loving. Help us do that. We forget. We don't understand. Uh, Give us understanding. 
Remind us how much you love us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.